and actually everyone, but good morning when this comes out. Uh, happy day after, yes, day after Christmas. I am your host, Sam LaCrosse, the host of the Do Not Listen to This Podcast, the final episode of the Do Not Listen to This Podcast of 2021, the 52nd, this is going to be technically the 51st since we did Podcast Zero, but the 52nd podcast, 52 weeks of the year. We did it for every single week of the year this year, which was awesome, which was so cool. Great experience. Um, not that you guys would care, but you know, I thought it was cool. So I like to end the year basically on a note of you know something that I find enjoyable and something that I think more and more people are finding, excuse me, enjoyable. Not because I don't think they really, I mean, I think they enjoy it, but I mean, they see other people doing it, which is reading. I've liked reading ever since I was a really, really young kid, like when I was two years old, like I kind of, I read all the time. I still read a ton now. And I think that reading has become kind of like a fetishized topic for a lot of people to, you know, oh, I can make, you know, I'll just make a book and, you know, famous person go make a book. I'll sell a bunch of copies and do whatever without getting any value out of it. And I've, you know, noticed a lot of people reading the same kind of shitty books these past couple of years. And like, well, I mean, you know, everyone says it's good, but is the book really good? No, but I mean, it's kind of like, you know, people are still using it. So why don't you know, just keep, you know, keep up with the program, whatever. So last year I read 52 books in 2020, which was a lot considering that I moved uh, twice. I kind of had, you know, a bunch of shit going on in my, my personal life. I had, um, you know, I graduated college. I started a new job. I, you know, I, I was in a new city. I had new friends. I had, you know, all this other shit. So I had a lot of stuff to do, which was crazy the way I, you know, I just, I can't believe I did it looking back on all I did it. So but the problem was, and I'll get into more of this later, that I kind of read just a bunch of, I fell into the trap. I read a bunch of shit that I didn't really like reading, all this other stuff. So I cut the list that I was going to read down by half. And also this list is going to be half. But I truly believe this five, six, it's technically a list of five, but I have an honorable mention there. So I truly believe that these six books are worth reading. And I think that they should be read by everyone going into the new year. And I would highly recommend picking up each of them. So without further ado, here we go. I'll start by saying that, again... My love of short lists never gets old. Another year, another short list of books that I like to read. It was another interesting year. A year with a lot of good and a lot of bad, like all years contain. It was also a strategic year, like I mentioned earlier, one that saw me internalize my strategy about reading and information intake and retool it so that it would be better. And thankfully, it was. Like I said earlier, I read 52 books in 2020, and that was, that was a fucking lot. And it overall was a very positive process. But it wasn't a perfect one. No process will ever be perfect, but it could always have gotten better. My main problem that was that it, a lot of it just felt forced. I read shit that I didn't give a fuck about reading because everyone I said I quote should read it. I crammed books in without giving them the proper respect. I cheated a lot during the process in that regard. So like I did with my content, I decided to cut it in half to focus on quality over quantity. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't taking in empty literary calories and spending my time in proper fashion. I set out with the goal of reading 26 books, half the week of 50, 52 divided by 2 equals 26. I can do basic math if you weren't aware. And I've read up to 29 up to this point. <coughs> Excuse me. It was worth the setback in quantity. The overall quality of the books that I read was much better, much more well-defined than a lot of the junk that I read in 2020. I like to have a reason why I do something or undergo a task. I never want to be the parent that tells their kids to do something because, quote, I said so. That's a horseshit answer. I hate it when my parents gave it to me. I never want anything to do to be unintentional no matter what it is. And after the bizarreness that happened during 2020, I settled on a theme, the theme for my 2020 reading being, quote, what the fuck just happened? There were many things during the, that period of time that confused me. 
there was so much that I didn't understand or get. So to try to get to the bottom of it, I tailored my reading towards what I feel are trusted minds to those that understand those things more. I read a lot of current events and a lot of psychology around broad trends. What does it mean to be happy? Is free speech really free? Does being wealthy and famous really make your life better? Are all the things that they tell people they're bad for really bad? None of these answers are perfect, obviously, because humans cannot be perfect. But I do feel that the books that you'll discover below this list have a common trend of being honest about their reporting. They feel that something is wrong, that something needs to change, and I agree with them. For 2022, the goal is slightly shifting. I plan to read 37 books next year, one book for every 10 days. I've also discovered that reading current events is not enough to understand the true issues that are behind those current events. It says a lot about the now, but what about what led to it before? In the next year, I plan to mix the remainder of my arsenal with that of history, most of which was provided by a trusted friend. You must look, look, you must look back to go forward, and there is no better picture of what is forward than what is now. I hope my revisions in terms of the process and of the content to be absorbed can help answer both of those things for myself. Additionally, for this list, I've halved it compared to last year. Half the books, half the rankings. This is incredibly difficult to stomach. I truly read a lot of great literature this year. This list is not nearly an extensive one of what I recommend reading. For that, visit the blog, don'treadthisblog.com, and gain exposure for yourself. But I do believe that limits are necessary in order for the cream to rise to the top. And I can promise that this cream tastes very good indeed. So without further ado, here are the best books that I read in 2021. So I told you it was gonna, wasn't going to be five. So here's the honorable mention. Honorable mention. You'll Never Make Love in This Town Again. Joanne Parent, 1996. I first heard about this book through an unlikely source, Joey Diaz. For those who know of Uncle Joey, the last thing you would probably expect to hear out of him would be a book recommendation, and I felt the same way. On an episode of Your Mom's House with Tom Segura and Christina Patinsky, the three of them began engaging in a talk about one of the most usual topics of the show, sex. Uncle Joey, a lovable yet filthy fuck in his own right, began to spin a tale of not of his personal life, but of something that he had read. He cited from this book a story about the lead singer of the Eagles, Don Henley. Don Henley did a shit ton of coke. He was also one of the biggest rock stars in the 1980s. To the amazement of the two co-hosts, Diaz recalled a story about Don Henley emptying out a bottle of coke on his coffee table, arranging for three hookers to come over his house, and making them bend over naked on his fireplace while he both fucked and snorted himself into a stupor for over eight hours. I couldn't believe that this was real. Even more so, I couldn't believe it was public. You never heard this type of shit about people like Don Henley. They pay a lot of money to a lot of people so this stuff doesn't get out. The reviews on Amazon only have it in the double digits, only about 78 from the last time I checked. I ordered it immediately and brought it with me on the plane ride I took to New York in early November. What I read in the book shouldn't have floored me, but it did. Very few books can successfully change someone's mind on something, most likely mine. Or most notably mine, I should say. But this one did. The thing it changed my mind on was this. Power is overrated. It truly is. There is a diminishing return that comes to that amount of attainment of affluence, status, and wealth. And that diminishing return that a person pays is with their soul. 1980s Hollywood was a rough place. 
This was before the internet, before social media. People could get away with anything back then, and they did. This book, written by a journalist after comprehensive interviews with four 80s call girls, spins the tale of sexual deviancy by America's version of the royal family, Hollywood stars, taken to the furthest degree possible. Everyone from Jack Nicholson, Sylvester Stallone, Marcus Allen, and in between is exposed for all to see. It was eye-opening for me. As someone who was a film fanatic, I was both disheartened and saddened by the levels of these powerful men who are admired by so many have to stoop in order to get their kicks. I never got the idea of being a playboy, of having so many women at your disposal that you don't know what to do with them. Maybe that makes me lame, I don't know. But this book confirmed what I already thought to be true. There is nothing in your life that is worth your soul. These men had all the attractive women in the world throwing themselves at them like nobody's business. In return, they responded by whoring themselves out to a lack of self-discipline and restraint at the cost of their conscience. This book is not for the faint of heart, but it would do wonders in strengthening your soul. Number 5. Hillbilly Elegy by J.D. Vance, 2016. It was very hard not to take this book personally. Even though I grew up in a very privileged background compared to that of J.D. Vance, I knew his pain all too well. The bulk of the book took place in my home state of Ohio. I knew the places he was talking about. I knew the restaurant chains, the small towns, and the slang. He went to my university, as a matter of fact. It was easy to relate to, which made it equally hard to read. The word elegy, hailing from the Greek, means tragedy, and this tale is certainly a tragedy. Not just of a family, but of a culture. That culture, contrary to what much of the media spins today, is white Appalachia. The white middle American working class is in jeopardy of self-destruction by its own doing with the aid of the forces that do not see the value in the people nor the culture. The manifestation of all these forces is leading to a precipitous drop along the lines of American quality of life. Ask yourself, what happens when a massive pharma conglomerate unloads truckloads of opiates into a weakened area of the country in order to, quote, supercharge sales? What happens when a bulk of the thing that gives these people, particularly the men, meaning their work, gets removed from under them without their choice? What happens when, as time passes, the rest of the country looks down on them by thinking they're devolved, dirty, and dumb. And the most important question, what happens when all of those things happen at the same time? What we get, it turns out, is the current situation in the American Midwest. We get people who are tread over, dumped upon, and ignored simply because people decided not to care. Moreover, what you get is those same victimized people furthering their feedback loop of destruction by buying into this awful narrative and propagating it within their own communities. Taken together, they form a hellacious combination that is single-handedly wiping out an entire American subculture. Vance's memoir is surprisingly self-aware. He aims as many bullets at his people versus the outside world. He emphasizes personal responsibility, something that people both in this culture and other cultures throughout America are severely lacking. He bears all for the reader to see his relationship with his mother, with his grandparents, with his people, and with the survivor's guilt of leaving them. But, most importantly, Vance spins, spins a tale of hope, of optimism, of the undeniable truth that no matter how bad your situation may seem, it can always get better. In a culture of America today, 
where being the victim is celebrated and getting yourself out of bad situations through strong effort and decision-making is villainized, Vance exposes the lie of both to show what being an American is all about. Initiative, opportunity, and purpose can get you places, should you choose to take them back for yourself. Number four, Woke Inc. by Vivek Ramaswamy, 2021. I believe the mark of a truly intelligent individual is when they can take an issue that is infinitely complex and break it down so people outside that issue can understand it. Vivek Ramaswamy is one of the smartest people I've ever read about, and he proves my point quite well. Ramaswamy, a former biotech company founder and Yale Law School graduate who is actually a classmate of Vance's to my knowledge, exposes a problem that has worried me for a very long time. The interference of business within the greater culture. Business, particularly that of giant corporations and more particularly of finance, pharma, and tech, isn't just powerful. It's more powerful than a lot of things, including that of the United States government, in my opinion. In the past, these businesses were restrained by things such as government doctrine and shareholder allegiance. But, interestingly enough, this stance has begun to shift. Big business is now befriending the government at a bizarrely frightening pace. They face almost no threat from them other than an occasional slap on the wrist and a C-SPAN hearing in front of Congress. Companies are doing things that actively plunge shareholder value currently in favor of non-business related causes, like climate change or stances on healthcare, for instance. This, to the mainstream, might seem like a good thing to do. Businesses should use their power for good, right? Well, the question I would respond to your question with would be, what is, quote, good, exactly? Because in reality, business exists for one purpose and one purpose only, to increase shareholder value, to make money, and to do it within any legal means necessary. That's the only way that it can truly prevent things from going off the rails. But the latest gambit that particularly large businesses have chosen to maximize this principle is through wokeism. In leveraging both conservative and progressive politics, our business elites have crafted a narrative around, quote, getting more involved in social issues under the pretense for standing up for something and helping out more in the culture. But this is a lie. Corporations in America are actively colluding with the government and other powerful institutional players in order to increase their power and profits at all costs, including to that of the consumers to whom their loyalties should most lie. Ramaswamy wrote this book at a tremendous cost. He had to leave the company that he founded and the billions of dollars he could have made it by continuing to run it. But, like a true patriot, he chose something else. This threat is, in an opinion that the two of us share, the greatest threat to undermining democracy that currently exists in America. Using a superior intellect and his insider knowledge, he tells all for us mere mortals to understand. And the most important thing to understand is not that America's business elites know that both Democrats and Republicans wear sneakers, too. It's that they know, and that they don't care. Number 3. Irreversible Damage by Abigail Schreier, 2020. The two bravest books I read this year came from two women, Abigail Schreier and Deborah So. 
So's book, The End of Gender, is tremendous and one that I highly recommend. I just finished it this week, actually. The reason that Schreier gets a place in this list is not because her book, which focuses on relatively the same subject, is better than So's. The reason is because what she wrote about tore me apart. Not many people know what rapid onset gender dysphoria, ROGD, is. It's a relatively new thing. ROGD is a cancer that is currently tearing through our young girls like a lawnmower through grass. In a stun stunning combination of social media, mental health, identity politics, and negligent medical professionals and elites, this dangerous movement is one that no one could have seen coming. This book is not about the evils of transgenderism, because transgenderism is not evil. I, Schreier, and the people she interviewed do not believe that it is. This book is what happens at the worst end of identity politics, no matter what that particular position or stance is. When it is weaponized to become doctrine, when it is used to such an extreme that innocent people suffer, anything can become a problem. ROGD, a manufactured crisis that could easily have been avoided, is one of these problems. Young women are being used by, as tools by elites in high places in order to signal and prove a point that some people are more advanced than others in a society. The price that is paid is these young women themselves. Their bodies are universally altered and torn to shreds. Their social lives are left in tatters. The relationships of their families are left to ruin. And the emotional and mental scars that they are left with never fade, constantly being reopened by regret and shame. Reading through each and every one of these testimonies from parents, families, and doctors who actually do their jobs truly broke me down to my emotional core. The saddest and most nefarious part about Schreier's work is that the people who this strain of identity politics spins towards, transgender folks, aren't the ones pushing this ideology for the most part. The ones who are pushing it are the doctors who allow insecure young women and girls to obtain hormones and puberty blockers without adult consent. The ones who encourage three-year-olds that they can switch genders at will with no consequence to later life. The activists and teachers who deliberately hide things from families so that their child can feel, quote, protected. These are lies. And these are horrors that are being unleashed upon an extremely vulnerable group of our population. To protect them, we must heed Schreier's warnings and absorb the contents of what her interviewees told her. Some changes are more permanent than others. Some wounds leave deeper scars. Knowledge can help us alleviate and avoid both. Schreier's book possesses that, and courage, in abundance. Number two, Beyond Order, Dr. Jordan B. Peterson, 2021. The fact that Dr. Peterson is alive to write this book is an astounding feat in and of itself. The fact that it's not number one on this list is another. And most importantly, the fact that he was able to make it stand up with his first one is nothing short of incredible. After coming back from both himself and his wife nearly dying of illness, Peterson returns the counter-argument to his outstanding 12 Rules for Life. However, instead of trying to arrange order out of chaos, he now shows how chaos is in fact a necessary thing to recognize about navigating life. As someone who adores order more than life itself and fears chaos more than anything, I thought that this book could prove super helpful to me. It was, but not in the way I, that I had expected. This book taught me to be more uncertain, but to do so in a way that would make you more certain about something better. To not be stuck with who you are now, 
but to aim to always be something better. To realize that just because something is pretty doesn't mean that it can't be beautiful. That if you hate doing something, you can always break out of doing it. If you don't like your situation, you can change it. That everyone is not as bad as they may seem. That you are not as bad as they may seem, or you may seem. In allegiance to the rest of his book, Peterson blazes a trail for personal liberation in the guise of getting your life oriented around things that can set your life down a straight and narrow path. To always be structured, but be okay with being spontaneous. Spontaneous. Oh God, sp it's the end of the year. You can tell now. <laughs> spontaneous. To be open to new things for the simple fact that they can be better than what is old. Jordan Peterson is known by many as the world's surrogate father for a reason. It's because his advice is something that you would want your, your own kids to receive. It's not complicated nor easy to implement, but it is worth following. Should you want to live a better life, I recommend that you do. Number 1. The Madness of Crowds by Douglas Murray, 2019 If there is one book that can explain what is going on right now in the world, it's this one. Taking on four of the most controversial identity politics topics raging in our world today, Douglas Murray hits home the point at why identity is definitively something, but should not be everything. And when it becomes everything, the consequences are and can be dire, both for the people speaking them and the people that they directly affect. The world we live in now is very loud and very noisy. This book is essential in order to make everything quieter so that we can all reason through it. This book was written before 2020, and it's astounding how well Murray was able to predict virtually everything that happened as a consequence of 2020. We're going backwards, not forwards. We're aggressing, not progressing. And for everyone, that's a major problem. The world is better when it's quiet. The world is better when you can spend time on things that matter. Anyone who tries to tell you otherwise has a motive behind it that most likely does not benefit you. Miraculously, the madness of crowds can be tamed should we keep that realization in mind. And Murray blazes a trail in order for all of us to do just that. Douglas Murray is one of the bravest and most ferocious people I've ever heard speak. If he sees that there is a problem, he names it and tackles it head on. He doesn't care about what will come for him because he values the truth above all criticism. And if there's one thing that we can take from all of this and all of this year... It would be that. Okay, so that's it for this podcast, guys, and that's it for this year of podcast. And, you know, I hope you guys had a Merry Christmas, a Happy Holidays. I hope you have a Happy New Year. The uh, first podcast, the first new post is dropping the day after New Year's Day. And I just want to thank you guys, man. I, I don't know how, like I said, I don't really look at my analytics. Maybe I should, but I don't really look at my analytics. I don't really, you know, get off on how many people listen to this, but... You know, I, I know that there's a couple of you out there, and I truly value that you guys would spend your time listening to this because, you know, it, it may not mean a lot to you that, you know, you're listening to my podcast or whatever. You might just think it's something you do or something you tune into once in a while if I, you know, ask you, hey, have you listened to any of this stuff? But, you know, it's it's been really, really helpful for me to do this, and I think, you know, just knowing that there's someone out there listening is is really, really beneficial and it's really, really cool. So thanks for listening to this podcast, guys. Thanks for listening to this year of podcast, guys. And I'll see you guys in 2022.
Own the day. Open your mind. See you guys soon.